Welcome to Don't Call It a Book Club. My name is Luke. My name is Daniel. And we have second episode of A Fire Upon the Deep today by Werner Vinge. Again, we can call him Vern. Or Laverne again. That too. So no intro or no intro segment today. Yeah, I think we're, well, we're kind of the opposite of warmed up right now because I can count the degrees on one hand where we are, but uh, I think we just get into it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I know the fans will be very upset about us not wasting their time, but you know what? (laughs) Whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on, Luke. Wasting their time? If you're a true fan, if you're a true fan, you go to an NBA game 10 minutes before the game starts so you can watch LeBron James shoot free throws. <laughs> right, this is like the layup line. Or but it but since we're top tier, we're doing like dunks instead of layups, basically. Yeah. Yeah, 100% every time. So, if you're a true fan, you're a little upset right now, but I'm sorry. We just we got a lot to talk about. Right. Yeah. We've got part two and this is actually up to part two. We covered more than two thirds of the book, Dan. We actually, we didn't read to the number of two thirds of the book. We read to part two, which up to chapter 37. So we finished chapter 36. Right. So uh, a lot happened in this segment. Are you going to do, are you going to do a recap, Luke? I'm not going to do a recap. No, I'm not doing it. Okay. I'm sick of doing recaps. I'm okay. One of the early things that happened in this segment Mm -hmm. was say, I'm forgetting his name, but the, the little dumb guy that thinks he's smart. Scriber. Scriber gets murdered. Yeah. And the first thing I thought, or I don't know about the first thing, but one of the things I thought when I read this was wow deaths are very jarring in this book because it didn't like we've read game of thrones where you know there's a main character that you don't that you expect to wiggle out of something and then he gets murdered this i felt like was a little different where it was just whoa (laughs) because he's not he's not that big of a character it was just like i didn't expect him to just die like this (laughs) honestly i didn't expect vendacious which is the spy master i didn't expect vendacious to kill him i thought somebody else was gonna kill him here's here's why i think this scriber is talking to the pilgrim peregrine about how he's pretty sure that there should be more spies in woodcarvers and the pilgrim is like shut up you idiot that there should be but vendacious has got our back and so but we can't let them know that we know and so to be honest i was a little confused by this i think the thing that was the secret that pilgrim revealed to scriber was that vendacious had spies in the inner council of the is it flesner or fells What's Flenser. The, Flenser of the Flenser faction. Mm-hmm. And the reason that Scriber was able to kind of figure this out was that there weren't that many spies in Woodcarvers. And he thought it was strange. But before that, Scriber had an interaction that he presented himself as basically an idiot. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, this idiot. They should lock this guy up immediately so he doesn't go telling everyone this cool secret that he just learned. And then, I mean, he didn't tell anyone. (laughs) It's just, I think he was just such a, I don't think lovable character is the right word, but it was like, he's such an idiot, but he's trying hard and his heart's in the right place, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So I was like, oh, oh, honey, that kind of thing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Up until his death, I was like, hmm, this guy sucks. And then... (laughs) When he has that moment where he has to get back and warn everyone else, he has that moment of goodness. It was like, oh, okay, all right, Scriber, this sucks. I'm with you. <laughs> but yeah, for a while, I I did not have that same perspective. 
initially I was like, this guy's going to ruin everything. But I'm glad we're talking about Vendacious and the, the spying that's happening because the whole time we're reading, this whole section is full of the spying that's happening. That's And so they live in this society where you can essentially read another dog's thoughts if you get too close to it. How hard would spying be in this world? Uh, I can't get quite a good sense of how exactly the thought process, the thought exchange works. Because mm-hmm. I don't really get the indication that they can literally read thoughts unless they're like, they're so close that it's chaos. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, so... I do think there's more of a risk than there is like for us because obviously under no circumstances can anyone read our thoughts, but I don't, although you would think in a lot of these circumstances, it would be easy to check to see if someone was loyal. Yeah, absolutely. Which it it happened near the end when they were having that award ceremony and they had one member from the pack come up really close to the queen, to Woodcarver. And in that instance, you could probably interrogate that one to learn its memories pretty well, pretty quickly, too. And and um, uh, what was his name? The, like, scientist guy who's the cannon, the cannon master, the commander of the cannons. Uh, Scorpio or something like that? Something like Scru- that. Scrupulo? Yeah. Scrupulo. Something like that, yeah. He was really worried to go up and do that because he was scared that part of him was going to disappear into Woodcarver. And the other thing about it is their thoughts are different than ours because they transmit them through the air as like sound waves. So you... You could hear the thoughts of other packs, I think, if you got close enough to them, right? And so I think these two things exactly prove your point that if you want to know if someone is a spy, just demand that one of their members comes up to you and you interrogate it. And you don't even have to torture it. You just kind of like, <laughs> hey, are you you spying right now? Are you not cool? <laughs> right. It seems like you just need the suspicion you you need to be able to identify or like guess that someone might be spying and then all you have to do is it's very easy to figure it out mm-hmm. i guess vendacious has just he's been in it for the long haul or something so he hasn't been or i don't know if they actually do check people like this but i guess he just has been there from the beginning and then converted to spy master so he earned the trust and then became spy master when you say spy master, you mean a double agent? Well, I actually... So he he originally was not the security guy for Woodcarver. Right. So if they have some kind of screening process, he probably passed it before becoming spy master and therefore before developing these plans to become a double agent. I see. I see. So you think he was he got security clearance before he actually became a traitor? Right, because there's that part mm-hmm. at the end where he actually, he's not really a, he, okay, so he's a traitor, but he's not doing it for for the Flinzer movement. Right. He's doing it for himself, basically, because he thinks that he can somehow gain total power. Yeah, him and like literally everyone else in this freaking book. <laughs> it's like, what do you guys even want? <laughs> power, I don't know. Yeah, so uh, we we finished... I think it's the second to last chapter that we just finished, but he finally gets revealed, semi-revealed at least, by uh, Peregrine, the pilgrim. I mean, Johanna figures it out first, but she's getting kidnapped and stabbed, kind of. Yeah, she has some weird can't talk. I guess blood is just like filling her mouth for some reason. No, no, no. She was concussed. Never mind. It she was has totally the worst reasonable. concussion of all time. Yeah. yeah. And then um, <laughs> that little that little trick that Peregrine does where he comes up. And I don't know if it's reasonable 
for him to have just not told anyone because I guess he had the thought that like she was going to die any second now so he didn't have time right that's his thought process Mm -hmm. and I'm trying to decide I guess that's probably true like I guess that's fair I don't really have a take on this I just when I was reading this I was like "Mm, maybe grab a couple of guys (laughs) okay I have three responses to that actually the first is maybe there just wasn't time. Maybe this right. happened in me as soon as he learned what happened, he was off to go because he was worried that this was going to happen. The second is he doesn't know who he can trust unless he goes to Woodcarver herself. I'm, you know what? I'm not going to use. We talked about the gender thing last time. I'm going to use they for all of these <laughs> fucking creatures because okay, fair enough. there's no reason why they wouldn't use that. So there's no reason why they should trust any other pack aside from Woodcarver. And I guess the last is related to the first in that maybe Woodcarver would have been too, it would have taken too long to go actually talk to Woodcarver and get this whole thing figured out. And at that point, and maybe Woodcarver would have demanded that they go see Joanna themselves, which he was, which fuck. Which the Pilgrim was pretty sure would cause Joanna's death. So the Pilgrim was kind of making a power play here. And it worked out. So we start off this book and he's obviously... They... I'm, whatever. They... <laughs> we're going to try. Seem, yeah, we're going to try. We're not promising anything there. The uh, He seems like just kind of an... God damn. <laughs> they seem like just kind of an average character you know yeah 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 yeah. but the more we see of them it's they're like the loki i think the smartest one in this whole group yeah i mean obviously woodcarver is probably up there right but i don't know the pilgrim just seems to be poning in like every aspect which from what i understand the pilgrim if you think of woodcarver and the pilgrim and they're both very old woodcarver did it by a lot of incest with themselves like a a lot of incest and it shows and the pilgrim did it just kind of being a free spirit it sounds like yeah and it seems like it's working out pretty well for the pilgrim there's the the okay so in this book they're all talking about breeding and that kind of thing right and like there's people that are really good at breeding because they figure out the best combinations and they're usually with themselves or at least woodcarver is yeah you know in we've figured out that diversity in genes is always the best move so i think they're pretty far behind in this case yeah uh luke woodcarver is set up to be essentially the good in this world right i i don't think woodcarver is good let's let's look at woodcarver objectively and understand what kind of a government they've set up okay so woodcarver is a dictator who commands supreme authority they rule using military honors to keep people loyal to them and they practice basically eugenics. Is <laughs> this is sounds it... similar to someone I know or I'm thinking of? Oh, who who would that who would that be? Uh, it's it sounds a lot like Hitler. Yeah, it sounds a lot like Hitler. Woodcarver is also into the arts. <laughs> she didn't get rejected, or they didn't get rejected from art school, though. Yeah, they did create the art school, so... I... So that's the only that's the only place that this analogy doesn't fit. But... Okay, here here's, here's my question for you. If we're... So what modern-day countries do you view these two nations as? Oh, uh, I don't know. When you say modern-day countries, are you asking me to decide who is the Flenser movement? So I have, I don't know why I have, I have a like connection with the Flinzer movement to this country, but I do. And I want to see if you have the same one. I, 
I have not connected these to any modern. So listeners in other countries know that I have not decided you are raging lunatics. Whereas Luke, <laughs> on the other hand. Not modern, but okay. For some reason, and I, it's, I don't have logic behind this. I just have connected them to this. I'm sure there's some way that they are if I thought about it. Mm-hmm. But I always view the Flinzer movement and Flinzer himself. Or, so I view the Flinzer government or whatever as Cuba. And Flin, <laughs> and Flinzer as... Um, Castro? Castro, yeah. And I don't really know why. I have... And I, was trying to, and I was trying to see if you had or if it was just like, for some reason, I was relating them to Cuba. That is just you, my dude. <laughs> I don't know much about Cuba. <laughs> well, I don't think they get many podcasts there, so I think we're okay you in think terms we're safe? of losing okay. listeners. But I hear they're lovely people. Right. No, I agree. And I have I, no idea where this is coming from. I don't either, to be honest with you. <laughs> I, I. So when you were talking, like the only semi-modern country that i can think of that it's related to this is nazi germany that's the only right yeah i think that's the obvious one comparison that i can think of for all of these governments that are that we're learning about cuba is an interesting one though i think it's it's literally just flinzer for some reason i just connect him to castro and i don't know why luke what a name three things about fidel castro he's so he's Cuban. One. He's a dictator. Two. His name starts with an F. Fidel. <laughs> okay, I think we found it. <laughs> Great theory, Luke. I think that's that holds a lot of water. Yeah, that's what I do here. I come up with the best theories. <laughs> how come... How come the queen is bringing the data set to war so i guess they just want to learn more from it while they're still going yeah that sounds like a really good idea (laughs) yeah i that's a good point because i don't think they're viewing this as a last ditch effort kind of thing Mm -hmm. like they're viewing viewing this as a battle where if it doesn't go right they'll just retreat right yeah whereas i could see you bringing the data set if it was like this is our last chance if we don't win this battle we're gonna die regardless so yeah, I think that's this is a fair point. I don't know why they're bringing it. Why are they bringing Joanna? <sighs> you know, I don't know. Okay, Luke. Here's the theory. Oh man. The queen is going to make an alliance with Steel. I was so ready for you to say something along the lines of the queen is Joanna. <laughs> <laughs> the whole time. <laughs> but okay, you you think Woodcarver is going to make an alliance with Steel. Yeah, for sure. Woodcarver is going to try to make an alliance with Steel or Flenser themselves. And they're going to use the data set and Joanna's bargaining chips to get power. I mean, everybody's power hungry in this whole freaking world. Woodcarver is definitely power hungry. And Woodcarver seems to be the one who is causing all this craziness to happen anyway. Everyone is related to Woodcarver. Right. So it seems like Woodcarver is kind of the zenith of all of these power-hungry packs. And if they're all power-hungry, Woodcarver's got to be a little power-hungry. Right, yeah. Because they're all coming... Because Wood, Woodcarver is basically the grand, grandfather and grandmother of yes. all of these crazy people. Yeah. And, I mean, bummer woodcarver it didn't really turn out too great for you but but it's either that they're bringing them as some kind of bargaining chip or they're really not nearly as smart as we think they are or woodcarver and all of these other dogs are kind of like children right but they're just getting a lot of help from the data set and ravina too much help okay I want to talk, so, okay, so first off, I, I guess I could see this being a thing. There's also that moment that Woodcarver has with Joanna, where Woodcarver gets pretty stern with her and shows some authority, 
to Joanna right. and Joanna's Joanna says, Oh, yeah, Woodcarver's still the queen. I need to show respect. But this is an alien. She's not your queen. Right, yeah, yeah. This is like she, I don't think th- this was pretty kind of jarring for me as well. That scene because it was a it was a circumstance where Joanna hadn't really said anything like rude or no. anything. And Woodcarver was just like, Shut the fuck up. <laughs> yeah, no, essentially that. So yeah, I think so okay, I I actually that little scene is kind of convincing because now it almost seems like Woodcover has been hiding or has been doing the same thing that Steel right. has been doing to the kids. Exactly. Where Woodcover is pretending to be super nice. Okay. And the only reason we've been rooting for Woodcarver this whole time is we haven't gotten Woodcarver's sick twisted perspective. Whereas we have gotten Steele's sick twisted perspective and that is a no-go for sure. <laughs> right, right. One thing I want to say is, so we've we've been having Steele's perspective and we've been having, or I don't know we've been having Vendacious's perspective, but we've known that he's been a traitor for a while. Okay, so we know- hold on. You said he again. Just one more quick thing about the pronouns. Pilgrim is pregnant. <laughs> if there's no better... And, okay, the other thing we should say is pronoun isn't even necessarily connected to sex, like male or female. Mm-hmm. And gender isn't necessarily even connected to that. But at the very base level, if you're going to even argue about what <laughs> gender someone is, the the most primitive argument about that is that it's related to the biological sex. Pilgrim is pregnant. And... and and is a he pilgrim says that they are a he there's nothing there's nothing here <laughs> yeah it's it's we, we talked about it the last episode it's literally just so that it it would be okay for our um so that we wouldn't gasp when pilgrim and woodcarver get together right it was for our <laughs> stupid victorian sensibilities for our pearl clutching society (laughs) (laughs) yes it's a very puritanical place this world but uh, (laughs) i didn't mean to interrupt your vendacious discussion so okay so we know the vendacious traitor and we know that steel has been doing this sneaky thing where he's tricking the two kids and he's tricking ravna or however we're pronouncing her name yeah and I don't know if this is just a symptom of me knowing that there are traitors, but like, how, why are we, why is there no suspicion about these guys? There's a, there's a, okay. There's a little bit of steel at the end by fam. I think it was. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. His name's fam. We can talk about that. <laughs> we Hold on. We don't need to talk about that very much, but this, this part had so many good fam moments, <laughs> which I, kind of sucks for Werner a little bit right right because before fam was a thing fam would have been a perfectly fine thing to name this person but now every time there's a really funny fam moment it takes me completely out of the book (laughs) but it's so funny it is it is and I I love the word fam so yeah Yeah, we can't say that enough we love fam (laughs) Okay, but anyway, these how are the, how is he tricking them so easily? Like, put the, put yourself in Ravna and Fam's shoes, and you get this this communication from an alien, and you're pretty convinced that it's a human child because of the way he talks, right? Yeah. That's what she says. Yeah, but it's a child that is being convinced to like ask for weapons. <laughs> from this alien that you know nothing about and she's and he's convinced you that this other army is coming up to destroy them it's yeah like, really <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh this gets at actually a larger issue and that is why do fam and ravna trust anything that they are not seeing with their own two eyes because there is a blight that exists and this blight has is a seeking something they think 
but they also know that this blight is intelligent and powerful enough to kill beings from the transcend which are like which are gods and it was revealed that the blight can control people and get them to do whatever they want and so how can you trust any message that you're getting is not the blight just trying to get you to do something especially when you know so they think that this ship that they're going towards has something to kill the blight yeah but they don't know that no all they know is this came from where the blight was created right which gives another example of why they should be like "Eh." like i agree that they should be going there to try to find something my issue is why is my issue is just why are they sending steal so much information yeah because they're basically giving him such huge technological advances specifically for warfare yeah yeah really well okay there's two reasons i think that makes sense the first is the advances that they chose to give them came from fam fam had this moment of lucidity after he had the God Shatter event. And when they were first talking to, oh, what's the kid's name? Jeffrey? Jeffrey. When they were first talking to Jeffrey, Fam just for no reason said guns and radios. Right. Okay. Sure. And so you could take it as, yeah, okay. It was some God Shatter moment and they trust that as being important. The other reason, which now that I'm thinking about it, doesn't really hold up, is. They're concerned that this invading army is going to come kill Jeffrey and take the ship, take whatever they have that could be useful. But they are way more technologically advanced than anything that they've heard about. These these things don't have gunpowder or radios. So you could definitely take whatever you wanted if you knew there was a hostile force there. It, it probably wouldn't be too hard. So you don't really care who wins, except that you're trying to save Jeffrey. That's the right, only they're thing. Basically, they're basically, they're giving this uh, government, basically, the ultimate weapon, essentially, in this world mm-hmm. to just destroy their enemies just so that, like, Jeffrey won't suffer something that they don't know. Right. Right. And... Uh, and I don't, okay, we don't have to talk about it that much, but I just, and I think, I do think it's partially because I know that Steel is tricking them. Yeah. yeah. So I'm, it's probably mostly just me getting frustrated by that. But, oh, it was, it was just painful every time that kind of thing came up. I mean, the alternative is they probably only care about Jeffrey and the ship. Right. So these warring medieval societies that is happening on this planet who gives a shit if it's an evil government that takes over this little world of cannons and radios it doesn't matter these are peasants these are not human and they can't fly spaceships they're just a really primitive civilization so why okay, does it fair point why do they even care who if it's a good dictatorial s- situation or not i guess that's fair they're essentially just trying to help out this guy so that their own interests get protected. Right, right. And they okay, don't they sure. don't care if Woodcarvers is good or not. They just care about getting what they want and leaving, which kind of not cool, fam. <laughs> well played. Well played. Also, Steel's guard's name is Shrek. Yeah, okay. See, we didn't talk about this last time, and I... I am kind of upset that we forgot about it, but that's wild. It's like, Laverne again, you were doing so good when you wrote this book. And now the whole thing is basically a meme. Uh, (laughs) So when when the Scrode Riders are... Yeah, it's still so good. The Scrode Riders are doing their trade deal to try and get their ship up and running. There is a moment when Fam says, I'm going to go outside and take care of this. And Ravina says, you, you can't do that. They can't know that a human is here. 
and fam goes in the back and rummages around a little bit and puts on this basically paper mache dragon costume (laughs) and says don't worry i've got this and walks outside with it (laughs) and i just couldn't believe anyone was fooled by that right so (laughs) i was picturing when he describes this armor i didn't read it so again we've talked about this i don't read quite as detailed as you do yeah so I didn't quite picture his suit probably as it should have been. Uh-huh. I pictured it as like a leotard with ice skates strapped everywhere. <laughs> because he talks about how he has like these little blades on all of his appendages. Yeah. And I just viewed it as him having like, I don't know where I got this from. I think there's some meme that this is from, <laughs> but he has this suit on with just like the bottoms of ice skates everywhere and he's just stabbing everybody. Yeah, I I didn't really have an analog for a thing that I have ever seen before. I was just picturing a really tall. He said it was like he said it was considerably taller than he was, but a really tall, sharp, pointy thing that would be really uncomfortable to get close to. That and that leaks chlorine gas for some reason. <laughs> Which I mean, that's not great for you either, fam. I can't, we can't, we, we can't keep calling him fam. (laughs) We have to. Okay. Fair enough. (laughs) But, but it, it wasn't like he modeled it after an existing creature. He just made it sharp. He just, the key differentiator of this was pointy. I just can't. I I don't think anyone was fooled by it. I think they stayed away because they thought he smelled bad. Maybe. (laughs) Fam often in this book just fam okay so fam views himself as okay so you know you know how there's always like doers versus thinkers or something mm-hmm. doers mm-hmm. versus talkers yeah right and it's always better to be a doer fam thinks himself as a doer but he just forces it cuz fam should really be a talker <laughs> Because he keeps doing these things, and it's like, God damn it, fam. <laughs> I mean, it has yet to kill him, to his credit. Right. It, it's gotten but close quite a few times. He keeps... So he did He did this suit thing. Mm-hmm. He goes... Which I think actually... I, I think... I guess that turned out well. I mean, it was chaos, but... We'll we'll come back to that because I have a few ideas about what happened there. Okay. He has the part where he just doesn't let the screwed writers help, which there's an argument for why that's fair, but it's also come on, man. <laughs> and then he like the whole ship explodes because he was building some nonsense in some room. It's like, God, dude. Clean up for once. For once. <laughs> or just stay in your lane, fam. Yeah. Also, I mean, with the last chapter that we read, he he kind of directs all these ships to take out these targets that it doesn't seem it was very effective. Right. And it's like, oh, I hope you were right about this, yeah. fam. Fam. <laughs> this, so the Scrodes were making this deal with this guy and fam walks up in the middle of the negotiations and suddenly, is it Greenstock? is the one that that kind of floats off. Yeah. Greenstock floats off and leads Fam and Blue Shell into a trap. And afterwards, Fam thinks that he puzzles together who our stoner teenagers were that created the Scrode Riders. And Fam thinks it was the Blight. And the Blight is able to control the Scrode Riders. And the Scrode Riders are pretty eager to say, yeah, yeah, it's the Blight. It's the Blight. I mean, Blue Shell doesn't right off the bat, but eventually Greenstock convinces him that the Blight has somehow created them to be tools of its dominion. I think the Scrodes were just trying to sell the humans. <laughs> I think the Scrodes were just trying to sell the humans to whoever would buy them because they thought this is not worth it. Right. And we could they make, did have we can make a they, lot. They had of money. to be convinced into this. Uh-huh. mission in the first place uh-huh 
And so the Scrodes were in the middle of trying to negotiate the price for these humans to give them up and take their ship and go live happily somewhere else. And Fam walks up right in the middle and they're like, shit, we got to <laughs> deal with this guy. He's he's learned too much. <laughs> so they try and take him out. And then they're more than happy to say that they weren't in control when it was going on. They're more than happy to say, oh, yeah, the the blight totally <laughs> got in me and then made me do right. that. This is the argument that like, well, I, I had a lot to drink, so you can't really blame me for it. Right. And it's it's better than, oh, you tried to sell us. OK, out the airlock. Bye. <laughs> sure. Uh, so, OK. Like many of your theories, I want it to be true. <laughs> and I I will support it. There's no reason that it's not true. <laughs> sure. Fair enough. I'm gonna I'm gonna support your theory on this. I'm not wholly convinced it will be it'll be borne out, but I like it. Yeah. I do too. But <laughs> let's for a minute assume that the Scrodes were controlled by the Blight. Okay. Who is the only one on the side of the Scrode Riders right now? I mean, I guess Ravna. Ravna, yeah. And why is Ravna on the side of the Scrode Riders? Just because she's like a really nice person. She's super nice. And she thinks that they're no longer controlled by the Blight. So she keeps telling Fam, you got to trust them. You got to trust them because they're not commanded by the blight oh no oh no what happened to ravna in the first part (laughs) what do you mean fam was controlled by the old one and Uh she and fam went off and boned and then she found out later that fam was actually being controlled by an old one and she had no idea and now she's like oh yeah these blood these (laughs) these scrode riders that we're being controlled by a being more powerful than the old one are definitely not just lying to me. I trust that they are. <laughs> right. Ravna's like, fool me once. <laughs> I actually, so I actually don't know the, the full section of that phrase because George W. Bush's quote has thrown me so off the trail. <laughs> Wait, what, what does he say? He goes, fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice. Can't get fooled again, is what George W. Bush says. You, we can't. We can't get fooled again. That's right. That's, that's yeah, that's Ravna's thoughts. <laughs> I just, she's not that smart, I guess. Right, yeah. And I think she's, this goes back to our earlier discussion about Mr. Steele and all that, where she just, she's very trusting, I guess. Yeah, but you'd think she gets burned enough, or, well, maybe... Ooh, hold on. The sex with fam was so good. Yeah, she said fam wasn't that bad. (laughs) She said fam was the best she's had. So maybe she's hoping for like a re a rebound. Yeah, I don't know. I I don't know. Okay, I'm gonna move us on. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go back to Mr. Steele, as we call him. Uh, Mr. Steele. Studies have shown that the more time off. And less hours that workers work, the more efficient they are. So just keep that in mind when you're building this fortress. <laughs> because he talks about this idea that Woodcarver had, I think, a while ago. That was essentially for construction workers where they make them into one team and then they split off or something like that. And like don't work as many hours. And yeah. then he's like, yeah, her mistake was letting them split up. And now I just keep them all together and they work all the time. <laughs> and it's working Which, out really well. <laughs> I just read this and thought of all of the all of the studies that are so popular these days that I see on freaking Reddit or Twitter every 10 minutes where it's like, you know, 32 hour work, work weeks actually show that they get more work done than 40 hour work weeks. check out this bank in new zealand that's employees only work monday to thursday <laughs> and they're earning more money check out this really specific type of job that you can work less and do more 
Yeah, that... I don't want to talk about those studies for a second, but are those only looking at one type of job? Because, like, no way <laughs> that that's true. Luke, it's just about things. optimizing productivity. Right. You know. Right. Fair enough. The human brain was not designed to work 40 hours in a week. Just wasn't made that way. Listen, preaching to the choir over here. But but a group of 30 dog guys, dog dog people things, they can work all day, according to Mr. Steele. Why stop at 30, you know? <laughs> but yeah, that's, I just, that's, that's all I have to say on that. I think that, I think what we're getting at here is they're sacrificing scientific rigor for the sake of being like vicious. Dicks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dicks is a better word, I think. They're right. sacrificing scientific integrity to just be assholes all the time. Mr. Steele, there's a lot of like different ways you could describe him that are probably very eloquent and very accurate. But I think the best way to describe Mr. Steele is like he's just a dick. Dickish. Know? Very dickish is is Mr. Steele. And he's kind of proud of his dickishness. Right. Every time we get Steele's perspective they're talking about how massive of an asshole they are how big of a dick they are and how it's made them the top dog and <clears throat> if mr Steele gets a like data set and can read old literature from human and he reads machiavelli he's gonna be like i fucking knew it man this is so true <laughs> this guy just gets me man he just gets me yeah I mean, if they even have Machiavelli, but right. This is actually, this is something that I wanted to very briefly appreciate that I feel like most sci-fi books, when you go into the far future and you hear some, some reference that they're making in the book, it's always something that we would understand today, Mm -hmm. you know, but this book always references, like gives human references that have, that are actually not from us currently yes and i kind of appreciate it i appreciate that a lot it makes it seem like it's so far gone from our reality that yeah they don't even remember our stories none of our stories they remember and they have all their own yeah it's good touch way to go Werner. this is the first time we're introduced to alcohol is when they've just successfully defeated the wolf pack which are basically gerbils that are uh, blood, really loud bloodthirsty and loud and they drink beer and get drunk in the army camp so your whole existence relies on you staying in a group of five animals and staying close together because if you blend with another pack you could kind of die like your whole being could shift and become a new thing Getting drunk sounds terrifying. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, I didn't really think about this from their perspective. Yeah, your coordination and your mobility is greatly diminished. I mean, th- one of the first things that drunk people do in our reality is start bumping into stuff. You also don't have very good control over your speech or thought patterns, so they probably aren't great at maintaining this collective consciousness when they're hammered and then they're hanging out and partying with a bunch of other packs how many although maybe it's a strategy what 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 are you picturing as how this could be a strategy maybe you just got to shake things up every now and then (laughs) so like maybe the alcohol knows better and we could make a better combination (laughs) yeah maybe even for all of their breeding that they've been doing and all their eugenic studies sometimes they just think hey let's throw the dice (laughs) let's get everybody wasted yeah just see what comes out i mean they lose a lot of their inhibition from drinking right maybe this is how some of those crazy ideas came about yeah like maybe like how mr miss i mean mr steel drinks brandy and smokes weed to come up with his best ideas <laughs> that's true but he does it by himself which is not a good move mr Steele. you gotta right that's just depressing man yeah please don't do that but everybody else yeah how come no one else is smoking southern herbs except for mr <laughs> Steele? 
I don't know. They're really expensive. He's the only one can, that can import them. Yeah, I guess that's fair. Not even woodcarver, though? Nobody's wasting southern herbs on just like a little a little thinking sesh, a little brainstorm. That's fair. Although I feel like woodcarver would be totally down with some of that chronic. Yeah, I would agree. Right. And, oh, Pilgrim? Pilgrim! Pilgrim, Pilgrim was raised on the stuff. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Pilgrim's the kind of person that's like, oh, this is the weak stuff. I can't even think straight unless I'm totally baked, dude. <laughs> wake and bake steak and shake that's what he says that's keep saying it it's his it's like his motto or something i don't know <laughs> okay staying on the subject of the tines and like how they're how they work mm-hmm. basically so johanna just just doesn't get how they work i think uh she's starting to figure it out well she just keeps saying things like the the example that i'm thinking of is she's talking to pilgrim i think about their the kids that he had that is going to become him oh yes and she's like wow that sucks that you guys just like can't be like you're already incorporating them it sucks that you just can't let them be kids and i can just picture him being like god fuck that's not how it works because there's no way he hasn't explained this to her a thousand times (laughs) right right well and and yeah, by the end, she's kind of figuring it out how all of this stuff works. In the last chapter we read, she's starting to figure out, you know, that a single one by itself isn't doesn't do too great, and even two of them has a lot of problems, and they have to try and match them together in a way that's suitable. She's been there like three months. It took. I think it's longer than that. Pro- okay, yeah, sure, but. But it took us reading about it, like, 40 pages. And we were yeah. we were totally on board with basically how all this stuff works. And she's there experiencing it and seeing it for a long time. And still just thinks, I feel like one could be good on its own. <laughs> I feel like these kids should just grow up and be kids, you know? Just let them be free, you guys. I picture her saying things like this constantly and probably to to Pilgrim and Woodcarver and they're just exasperated. They're like, we're we're aliens that have pack minds. You don't, we're not humans. How hard is this? You're 13, right? You're 13? Come on. Maybe they're going to give up Joanna. Maybe they're not even going to fight. They're just... Here, you take her. Take her. <laughs> I, I mean, I could see it. I, would, I don't blame them. I'm sick of it. We're all sick of it. Although I am glad she's not trying to kill dogs anymore. She's, right, yeah. She's taken one step. She's taken two steps forward and one step back in my mind. <laughs> because she's not beating them with an, an inch of their lives anymore. And she's helping them a little bit. But she still just doesn't really get it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there's there's also this is kind of changing gears a little bit but i think it's i th- this is a context where i think one of the dog packs is talking to joanna mm-hmm. and they're talking about some distance to be covered or how far away something is and they say like it's a it's a mile away and then in parentheses they say a mile is a fat kilometer what <laughs> Yeah, I read that too. That's not that's not how you explain what a mile is. So, you could say you could say it's larger than a kilometer. You okay, you know how far a mile is. You can do the conversion. Uh-huh. You can say like a mile is 1.6 kilometers. Yeah. yeah. Or whatever the conversion is. So that just that was a very insignificant void that just frustrated me. Was that uh, Here's what I couldn't were those miles in their understanding of what a mile was or in our understanding of what a mile was? So when they say it was a fat kilometer, do they mean that w- the mile that they just told us is actually 1.6 kilometers? Or do they mean it's slightly more than a kilometer? Do you, do you know what I'm asking? Oh, so you're, you're saying like you, you don't know if their mile is the same as our, mile. As our mile. Yeah, exactly. And then this led me to think, does a fat kilometer mean 
a little bit more like it's a kilometer with a little bit more meat on his bones or is it a kilometer that somebody that's got a little bit more meat on their bones would want to go if i had to guess i would say it's the bigger than a kilometer one it feels that way but i don't i don't talk and think like times talk and think right right (laughs) so i don't know i i guess our point here is just come up with a better descriptor for it. Right. Give us a number. Use the number. You know how you use the number these, to say one fat kilometer? Give these, us... these are measurements. Like, you don't have to be vague. <laughs> Please don't, actually. So I've got two things that are a little more about the writing style of the book that are not detailed. Or that are not about details of the book. Okay, I got one more. Let's do those last. So I've got one okay. more about the book. Okay. <clears throat> the more throughout this book we've gotten these com logs that have been like kind of like news kind of like a blog basically it's just given me no hope for social media in the future because it's essentially reddit or facebook and they still haven't figured out how to filter out fake news <laughs> right yeah this is this is a comment section yeah and they're getting millions and millions and millions of comments and when they're up in the high beyond they can get the computer to kind of filter out the really bad stuff but they still call it the net of a million lies and it's like not with not with that much time we couldn't figure out how to keep fake news off the internet yeah i guess facebook just continues not to take this seriously like, do our Congress members never understand how the internet works? Are they perpetually old and they just never get it? Is that what we're doomed to, Luke? That's what it seems like. Yeah. I'm impressed with Vern for knowing that this was that social media was just going to become like trash. Oh, yeah. This prediction, this network that he has envisioned in this book is freaking spot on especially for our current time when it's hard to know who you can trust and there's right. a lot of bots and stuff going around. Like the blight is essentially Russian bots, right? Can we agree that the blight is just a bunch of Russian bots? I think that's a good analogy. And this was written in what, like 97? 93, I think. 93, Werner. Ooh, okay, so yeah, yeah. So the, the blight is Russian bots and the alliance, the is Infowars. Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah. Or or you could just say the alt-right in general. The alliance is yeah, the yeah. alt-right in general. Ooh, this is really good. And <laughs> I mean relay is just any scientific institution that is trying to do anything. <laughs> or it's democracy, maybe relay is democracy. Yeah. I yeah, I'm picturing relay as like Twitter or Facebook where people are like please fucking kick the alliance off and they're like they're not breaking any rules (laughs) and then the russian bots break their site and they're like oh come on guys we had something good going and everyone's like no we didn't (laughs) yeah i'm this is okay this is a great prediction by Vern. i'm impressed yeah good job the okay i'm gonna bring us actually this is this is actually pretty specific to the to the book when I'm reading this last section and kind of getting to the end of it, my thoughts are just like, can we just, can we just get to the Tynes world? <laughs> yeah. This feels like a book that is like some lead up, they get to the Tynes world and most of the plot happens. Yeah. But clearly not. They've been like, They've been flying to the Tynes world for a while. And the Tynes have been getting ready to like fight this battle for a while. Yeah. And then when they when Ravna and that whole squad is flying and they get stuck in the slowness for a while, I'm just like I like almost threw my nook. I was like, God damn it. Yeah, it is an incredibly slow burn in this book. The buildup is uh, I mean, if this 
freaking climax is not worth it. If this is if the, if we get to an anti climax, I'm gonna be a little bit upset for how much work right. we put in. In all of part two was we're coming to get ya. We're coming to get ya. I don't see how it gets wrapped up that well, unless it's just like chaos. Or just like bombshell after bombshell when we get there. I imagine part three is going to be chaos, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Although the fact that we got this extended we're coming to get you, this extended build, gave you something that you didn't think you would see, Luke. And those were the Scrode fights. <laughs> That's a good point. I was making a joke about the Scrode fights at the beginning or in the first episode. Yeah, last episode, Luke was joking that they couldn't have any action scenes with the Scrode riders because how absurd would that look? And they did it. Have you ever seen... Do you ever watch Doctor Who? No. Oh, okay. So this is going to be one for the <laughs> listeners. Yeah, do it. Are Scrode Riders just like shitty Daleks? <laughs> Dan, I know this doesn't mean anything to you, but listener that watches Doctor Who, I'm just I'm picturing shitty Daleks. So what's the... I mean, the hashtag is Scrodalics, right? Ooh, yeah. How do you spell it? I don't, I don't Scro- know. Yeah, well, there'll be a lot of hashtags that sound like Skridalex. But, so they, they just, they have guns attached to their little trunk, I guess, right? Yeah. And well, like, I think it's to the Scrode, the guns are attached. God damn it. I can't. Scrode and fam are things that I just can't say without laughing in this book. But, yeah, and they just they just kind of roll around. I think they actually fly around a little bit, don't they? I think they have some propulsion systems. Some they have like a jets. little double jump. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They can double jump. <laughs> yeah, that was. I don't know, but I'm I'm glad you brought that. I up just because I actually I didn't realize that there had I didn't think about the fact that there was a scrode rider, like physical combat situation. Yeah, I just wanted to point out that the scene that you thought would be hilarious and couldn't exist happened in this book. <laughs> before, yeah, I just needed to point that out. Right. Okay. This about Vern's writing. This is going to be about when he's describing landscapes or other types of views, mm-hmm. which he does a lot. Mm-hmm. And some of them are really cool. Like usually his descriptions of the Tynes world sounds like a really nice view or something like that. But other ones that are not the Tynes world, I don't know what the fuck he's talking about. Yeah. Give us an example. <laughs> So I don't have any quotes, but he describes this thing. He describes, I think it's harmonious, harmonious repose. Yep. Also known as RIP. RIP. Yeah. He describes the huge structures and I, I like took another read through and just kind of phased out to the second read through. Like I had the first because I didn't know how to picture anything. This is what I, I ended up with just like, the St. Louis arch, but huge. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think I'm right, but I ended up, I was picturing a bunch of halos, like the game Halo. I was picturing a bunch of halos all around the central, I think there was a sun maybe in the middle. I don't know. I just, I, I'm sure if I was picturing all of these things correctly, that it would be really cool. And I don't know if this is my fault for not reading closely enough or not picturing this correctly, but I just, whenever he's describing some some planet or even like the relay system, I was just like, I don't know what this looks like. Yeah, I'm with you there. I think this, this gets at one of the fundamental frustrations I had in our first episode where things that we already have a good understanding of are described pretty well. Like when he's describing a sunset or when he's describing kind of how these creatures look like dogs we can figure out the visual there pretty well but concepts that we don't have a very good familiarity with and things that we're not things that we're not too yeah familiar with it kind of are left very nebulous and I mean, it kind of takes away a little bit from how epic I think it's supposed to be. It sounds like it's supposed to be very epic. But when we're picturing like a ficus on a roller skate, 
for these scrode riders it kind of the fight between them isn't epic it's kind of funny right yeah exactly and these these worlds i think are supposed to be gigantic and really impressive but i turn into like i'm picturing a car mechanic for harmonious repose <laughs> like a just big car mechanic yeah like a massive whereas in jump reality car. whereas in yeah whereas in reality i'm sure it's supposed to be this gigantic really technologically advanced halo system that you're describing right well and and the other reason it's frustrating is because parts of the description start to become important for the story how they're actually moving around on this ring becomes important for you know how they're getting off and who's chasing them and things like that and if i can't picture it then i don't know what's happening in the story either right yeah, yeah I'm, I'm glad you agree with this and I'm just not an idiot that can't picture things. <laughs> no, this was this was a challenge for me as well. Yeah. Okay, I think that that wraps up our discussion for this section. I guess we're, we'll finish the book for the next one, right? Yeah, so we're going to finish part three. Hopefully there's going to be some freaking epic climax where all of these groups are coming together. I mean, hopefully the blight gets taken care of in some cool way or not that could happen um we're gonna be announcing our next book so stay tuned for that um and we'll just come at you with hot takes and keep being dumb nerds 